You are listening to the Keith Craft Podcast. Get ready to think better and be encouraged through weekly episodes created with you in mind. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Dr. Robbie Sonderegger is one of the foremost voices in the world today on Christian psychology. Uh, but it's so much more than that. I think you're really going to enjoy his perspective as he really takes us on a thought process journey uh, about how to go from tragedy to triumph. He's one of my dearest friends, and I just wanted you to really hear him, but also have the benefit of learning from this man who travels globally, helping people with their personal psychology. And I trust that he will help you today. God bless you as you listen. Sondariga. Come on. You and, even said that like you know, an Aussie. I'm, I'm trying to get my Aussie accent down. But anyway, I make it, mess it up with English in Texas. But uh, accents. But so great to have you. And recently you shared, and, and for those of you that don't know, uh, Dr. Robbie is a renowned clinical psychologist, PhD, um, in, uh, in trauma and really just, I would say, personal growth and development and leadership is a sweet spot. And when you can teach people uh, how to move from, from really trauma to tragedy, you're doing something. And recently you talked to trauma to, I'll get to it triumph. right, I'll get it right. <laughs> trauma to, tra- we don't want to go to trauma, trauma to tragedy, to tragedy. but on. trauma to, to triumph, uh, you're on your way to winning in life. And that's really what you talked to our staff about recently. And what, what was the title of that? Yeah, growing, going from trauma or tragedy through to triumph is growing through your pain. Yes. Understanding that that which doesn't kill you really truly does have the capacity to make you stronger. It has the capacity. I want to take you right into our staff gathering. And I think this is something that'll really, really, really help you. From trauma to triumph with my friend, Dr. Robbie. There is some amazing research coming out now that demonstrates um, pain in this life is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And there are, are some amazing studies that have been conducted that have made observations that there are some people who, despite the tragic circumstance, are actually able to grow through the tragedy or the trauma, so to speak. Uh, Almost like that age-old saying, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, now science has come along and said, actually, that statement is valid, but it's not valid for everyone. It's only valid valid for a small select group of people. And so Martin Seligman, who's a famous um, researcher here in the United States, Professor Seligman, He wanted to find out what is it about this small select group of people that enables to make them stronger when they've gone through tragedy. So in psychology, our role is to take people who have been knocked back into minus, so they're in deficit, so their original starting position was neutral or zero, now they're in minus. Our role is to help them return to their original position. But where are the people who say, don't be settling for zero, keep going into plus, into a positive outcome that you actually um, get blessed. So what the enemy intends for evil, God can turn around for good, like truly for good, that he will restore the years that the locusts have stolen and then some, sixfold. Like this this is God's intention for you to be blessed at the end. So 
he identified that there are five unique characteristics that people possess when grow, going through their trauma but ending up being better off. And in fact, these five, they, they'll, they'll change your life. I mean, this is incredible stuff. Um, five characteristics that people possess. If they're going to grow through their trauma, this is what they've got on board. My question is, can somebody also develop these characteristics? And that's why we've taken these five characteristics and we've packaged it together into a brand new program called Grow, and we're launching it in northern Iraq with uh, ref two, two million refugees on the border of Syria um, in the, Kurdish, in the Kurdis Kurdistan area. Um, so here are the five. Anyone want to know what the five are? Okay, the first one is belief in a God who actually cares. Now, let me clarify that. This is not believing in God. In fact, the research shows believing in God doesn't actually do much good at all, which is no surprise because even the devil believes in God and it doesn't do him any good. But this is believing in a God who actually cares because one of the first things that a person who has experienced tragedy asks is, where is God in this? Like, what kind of God would allow me to go through this? Or why, God? Why did you, why didn't you show me earlier? You could have revealed it before the affair, God. Like, why? And we ask, we lead with the question why instead of the question who. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond? Like, we don't, we don't do that. Our natural tendency is to ask, is to have a dialogue with God, and the dialogue is not always positive. Believing in a God who actually cares about my situation says, I don't know why this has happened but for some reason you've allowed it to happen god but in the process if my heart is breaking that your heart must be breaking also why because you care so believing in a god who actually cares changes the nature of our dialogue with him we don't understand why and maybe you will never understand why until the kingdom come you know but but in the here and now if my heart's breaking, God, God's heart must be breaking also because he cares for me. And scripture goes so far as to say, cast, it, cast all of your worries, your anxieties on me. Why? Because I care for you. The second characteristic is a really difficult one. And this is being thankful in all situations and circumstances. Having this state of gratitude, which is more of a trait, that... I even can end up being thankful for the tragedy that took place. And you've got to understand it correctly because no one in their right mind would ever be thankful for an affair or for an overdose or for any kind of tragedy that takes, takes place in our life. But here's what the people are recognizing. It's like the guy who's had an overdose. He would never wish that anyone would experience what he experienced, nor would he ever wish to experience it again. But yet at some level in the future, he can look back with gratitude and say, thank God I had an overdose because I recognized that was the catalyst for change in my life. That was the turning point. I got admitted to hospital. I got rested. And that's when I got to, sent to rehab. And as a result, I ended up becoming a, a drug and alcohol rehabilitation counselor myself. And now I'm helping other people. Thank God for the, re, for the overdose. Not that we're ever wanting to experience it again or wishing it on other people, but we have a gratitude no matter what the circumstance. And it's interesting because that's just scripture as well. Be thankful in all things, not most things, not some things, not just the happy things, but in all things. Why? Because this is God's will for you, scripture says. To position yourself with gratitude is, is dependent on one important thing, 
an understanding that God actually cares. Without an understanding that God cares, why would you be thankful? How could it possibly be so that you would find something to be grateful for? No, you'd find something to be bitter for. Because God clearly doesn't care. Whenever we've experienced tragedy or um, betrayal or high treason, we go into our default human position that God is either angry with me or disappointed with me. I've let him down, and that's why he allowed this negativity to befall me. But that's not Christianity. That's Buddhism. That's karma. I did bad things, therefore bad things are now happening to me. No, if bad things are happening to me, God's heart must be breaking because he's my favorite. He's my cheering squad. He, 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 he's not... It's like he's digging for gold, not digging for dirt. He's my cheering squad, not my firing squad. He is looking, um, if I fall down, to cheer me on, to get myself back up on my feet and keep on going. And so he cares for me, therefore I can be grateful. If I'm grateful, it allows me to engage point number three, which is uh, kindness. And this is a tricky one because we're all kind, but this is something separate. This is, I have I've been so hard done by that, like we said on Sunday, I just want to scratch my rash. It feels good to feel my pain. But instead of focusing on me, what I'm going to do is actually take my attention and focus it on you. And I liken this to like a, a room like this where there's no windows. If we were to turn all the lights out, it would be pitch dark. And then if I asked um, you to come up here and, and grab you know, the, the water bottles and, and refill them, You'd say, well, well I can't because I can't even see my hand in front of my face. It's so pitch dark in here. I say, oh, no worries. Let me just turn a, a, a light on for you. And I go, and I shine a spotlight right on your face such that you are blinded by the light. You, you can't see anything now. And then I say, now the light's on. Come on up. Now, if you were to do that, you would be looking like this. Okay, now, where, where are you? Because I don't want to bump into... Oh, sorry. And I, I would say, oh, ouch, ouch. And, and you're the picture of somebody who is not confident because you can't see anything. You're blinded by the light. In other words, the spotlight is on you. But when you take that same spotlight and you take it off you and you shine it in the direction that you are going, then you can all of a sudden see clearly and walk with confidence. People without vision, perish. But when you can see the direction that you're going, you have this newfound confidence. And so we call that kindness. By the way, just on a side note, that's the fastest way to build self-esteem in, in, in young people today. It's not about praising them. It's about plugging them into something that's bigger than themselves. But that's a, that's a different message. But this, key is character, this, key, this characteristic is key. It's been tested in the research that when somebody is struggling with depression yet applies these principles, scriptural principles, principles like whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Or whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So I'm not serving this person. It's like this person is Jesus and I'm serving. Because that which I do to the least of these, I do directly to him. Even in the context if if I hate my job, but yet I'm going to apply this at my workplace, whether it be with the customers or with my co-workers, I'm going to be so kind to them, I'm going to bless them with my might. Not just be kind in terms of, oh, here's a cup of tea, or I did them a nice turn. No, I'm going to go out of my way to create a jaw-dropping experience for them, even if I hate my job. The research shows that if you've been struggling with depression, but you apply these principles, within 183 days, you've recovered from your depression. I'm like, wow, that's not a long time. I know people have been on a whole sort of, you know, stack of other medication regimes for a whole lot longer than that. But imagine if we applied God's word in our life and now scientifically validated to be able to say, let me take the focus off myself 
and throw it into somebody else. But don't be judging for anyone who plugs themselves into service, not just busyness, but being kind and being of blessing to somebody else to be able to really rock their world because it actually aids mine. And I can't do that very well if I don't have that default position of thankfulness. And I can't have that default position of thankfulness if I don't actually believe in a God who actually cares. The next principle, uh, the second last one, is called hope. Sometimes people say, I've just got no hope. But when you ask them what that means, they say, well, you know, I just feel hopeless. But feeling hopeless is not the same as having no hope. Feeling hopeless is to have less hope, hopeless. But having no hope means you're dead. You cannot be alive and have no hope. To have no hope means it's the last that was the end of your life. So long as you're alive, there is always hope. And so people think, well, no, I just, I just don't, I don't have it. Like it's gone. Like it's not something that I, I have any control over. It's just something that I feel. But hope is not something that you have or don't have. Hope is something that you cultivate. It is a belief. It's a choice to make a belief to be, or it's a choice to believe, should I say, to believe that my tomorrow is going to be better than my today or my yesterday. In fact, hope has been found in the research to be the leading indicator of success in almost every aspect of life. It doesn't matter if it's academics or sporting performance or business or marriage. In fact, even marriage. You can go to all of the best counseling under the sun with the greatest interventions and all of this, that, and the other, but the research shows the determining factor as to whether or not your marriage survives the level of hope that you have for it. If you have no hope for your marriage, as we said, that's marriage is already dead. But if you hold on to hope, not necessarily in an unrealistic manner, but having this, this belief that, well, if God has my best interests in his heart, then my tomorrow is going to be better than my today. And he is going to use this. And it doesn't matter. So you can apply this in any context. It could be health and healing. Like, okay, so God, I'm hoping that I get healed. Well, sometimes that's wishful thinking. No, my hope is, God, I place my trust in you that you're going to work the best out. Now, whether I get healed in this life or the next life, I thank you, God, that you're going to use this for your glory. I'm positioning myself in that, that outward-looking kindness. It's not about me feeling sorry for myself. No, God, if you can use this in some way to bring glory to you, fantastic, because I know that you have my best interest at heart. And that's why I'm thankful. Mm. It all fits together. Two people can take the same exam of the same IQ. One person has more hope than the other, does exceedingly better than the other. Mm. Your hope for your business is not based on what you see as the bottom line, the red figures on the balance sheet or on the profit and loss statement. No, your hope, despite the economic environment, is seen to be a catalyst for driving the company forward. Hope is key. But hope is predicated on the things that we don't actually see. All too often, we see things with our eyes. He walked out the door. Well, there's no hope. But that's actually counterfeit because we saw it with our own eyes. Our hope is not placed on what we see. It's placed in God. Faith is the things hoped for but not yet seen. In fact, it's the evidence of things hoped for. I, I love that when Noah was given the commission to build the ark, like he could have said, what? 
that's stupid. Like, I'm not building. Like, I don't even know what an ark is. Because there's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Lots of rain? What's rain? He'd never seen rain before. Like, what? Hang on. How, how do I build something that I, that I haven't seen? So he could have, with his own logic, you know, instead of building Noah's Ark, built Noah's Park, an animal park, for the, the sanctuary for the animals. And, you know, this is a much better idea, God. And then, and then let's just imagine that, that, that the animals didn't come because they didn't come two by two. They were coming to the boat and they didn't come to it. So he had to go out and trap them and he brought them in. But even after he brought them in, you know, the, the goat ate the gate and the, the fox burrowed under and the deer jumped over and he couldn't keep the animals. And so then he goes and enlists Keith Craft and says, I need a business consultant to teach me, teach me about leadership. And Keith says, well, okay, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need jumping castles and ice cream and some roller coaster rides. And, and that will attract the people and the animals. And, and then let's just imagine that was great advice. He's now gone ahead and applied this advice. People and animals have come and his park is a success because he sees it with his own eyes. It's actually a counterfeit hope. Why? Because the flood is still coming. The whole thing is going to be wiped away. And he'll be then shaking his fist at God saying, God, what was up with that? Like, I, 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 you called me to be the savior of the animals. And God will be like, no, I just called you to be obedient. I just asked you to build, a, build an ark. And instead you used your own reason, your own logic. And, 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 and when it was successful, that was a counterfeit hope. I thank God that Noah built the ark on faith, but it floated on sight. That what we see with our eyes, that's not the end of the story in this moment. By the way, when it comes to caring for somebody who's grieving, let me just backtrack to that. Nice platitudes, like the best is yet to come for you, sweetheart. Like all God, God just, you know, God's working his master. You didn't even want him in your life anyway. He was a loser. He's broken. He comes from a broken background. You don't want, you want health and wholeness and strong. You want someone like your dad. You want someone, all of that stuff is really toxic. It doesn't help anything. And when you say, man, I totally know what you're going through because I, I went through a similar thing. I was betrayed. You may have experienced something similar, but you have no idea. And, and, and when you say, this is the worst of all, <laughs> at least you didn't have kids yet. You know, because if you had kids, then it'll be a whole lot more complicated. Hey, describing a situation that is even worse than my current scenario does not help me feel better. Don't be trying to make me feel better because that's exactly the opposite of what compassion really is. Compassion is meeting somebody where their pain is, not helping them to feel better. Now, our hope and prayer is that one day she will feel better, but that's not the outworking of compassion. Compassion is just to meet you where your pain is. That's exactly what Jesus did. Um, coming down, Mount Transfiguration. Jesus comes down from the mount. There's a commotion in the crowd. Jesus is like, what's going on? One man pipes up and says, I brought my son to your disciples for healing. They couldn't fix him. And Jesus says, man, how long do I have to hang out with you people? All right, bring me the boy. And you know this story. As soon as the boy sees Jesus, he falls to the ground and starts having this convulsive seizure. I love what Jesus does next. I love that Jesus doesn't heal the boy. And you might be thinking, Yes he, yes, he does. I've, I've read this passage. The boy gets healed. Yes, the boy gets healed in the end of the story, but that's not what Jesus does next. Jesus is not Harry Potter with a wand saying, ticket number 43, healed. Next one, please. Rock him up. No, no. He's, he first turns to the father and he says, man, how long has your boy been like this? Now, if this is your child writhing on the floor, you would be in great distress. And the father starts now having the opportunity to tell his story. 
since he was knee high to a grasshopper, which is Australian for very small, he, 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 it was a struggle just to keep him alive because he'd have these seizures and fall into the water or fall into the fire. And it's been horrendous. So he's talking about a lifelong struggle. And now that Jesus is moved with compassion, having met the man where his pain is, he intervenes in the boy's life. And that we can do the same. Don't try and, there, there, everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. How do you know it's going to be okay? Don't, don't, don't be trying to make her feel better. Just meet her where she's at and be okay with that. The final one after hope is called bravery or courage. I like the, um, that scene out of, um, I think we even talked about it in South Africa, the scene out of Rocky Balboa, the final Rocky, like the dude should have retired a long time ago. But, but now his son is coming up through the ranks. And there's that famous scene, you've probably all seen it, where the son is boasting to his dad a little bit like Muhammad Ali, Dad, I can hit so hard, I can hit so fast, no one can beat me. And the dad, Rocky, is like, whoa, time out, son. Because it doesn't matter how hard or how fast you can hit. That's not what counts. What matters is how hard you can be hit, get knocked down, get back up, and keep on going. That's how winners are made. But the only reason you would have courage to dust yourself off and pick yourself back up and keep on going is if you have hope. Mm. The only way to cultivate hope is to take the spotlight off yourself and be a blessing to somebody else, make a valuable contribution to the life of somebody else. By the way, value is the same as worth. Worth is the same as esteem. Self-esteem is the pathway to self-confidence. You rebuild the self-confidence that was otherwise stripped away from you by plugging in and being a blessing to somebody else. Mm. The only reason you do that if you've got, is if you've got something to be thankful for, that you appreciate, that you have gratitude. And the only reason you'd be grateful is if you actually believe in a God who cares. I love that this is all scriptural, yep. but science comes along now and says exactly the same thing. These are the five characteristics that people possess. And just hearing about this amazing young lady, it sounds like she's got a lot of these five going on, that she's already so well positioned. Now, it doesn't mean she's perfect, doesn't mean she won't fall apart, um, but it, it, it gives her a platform upon which to stand on to be able to say, I am mature in God and I'm going to draw on his strength. It's not by my might or my power, but by the spirit of the Lord, I'm going to get through this because why? He cares for me. I love the studies that say, that show a person who's experiencing depression, going to church and believing in God doesn't do him any good. We'd love to say that's all you need to do. Just come to church, plug into a family, believe in God, but it doesn't do you any good. The differentiating factor is actually believing that this God cares for me and these people make a faster recovery out of their depression than everyone else. And that is the starting point. Starting point for gratitude. Gratitude leads to kindness, kindness to hope, and hope to courage to pick yourself up and get back on with your life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keithcraft Podcast. For more information on personal coaching, masterminds, and other leadership resources, go to keithcraft.org. You can also stay connected by following at Keithcraft on all social platforms.